Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Anna Cassidy. Oh, man, he's not here, but that's okay. We're uh, talking with a super special guest today. Her name is Jennifer Bushman. If you're in the industry, you may have heard her name. She's pretty outspoken and you see her all over social media, but she is this unbelievably deep well of knowledge that we were able to get on our show and she's done some amazing things for the industry and I can't even, I don't even know what to say. I mean, this episode is incredible and you're going to love it. Yeah, we weren't as chatty as we usually are during a normal conversation because she is such a wealth of knowledge. She has a vision for the future of the seafood space and all the different aspects of it that she's dealing with, consulting with, and, and really trying to move the industry to a balanced force. It was just an amazing sit-down interview that we had with her. and She was able to get a lot of things out there that I'm sure all of our listeners are going to appreciate. This is one episode you will not shut off early. I can tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. And so Jennifer Bushman is, um, you know, every once in a while you get these guests where we start the conversation and we kind of just let them go mm-hmm. because we be kind of become listeners with you guys. And we just take in all the information right after we finished talking, Justin turned to me and said, I am now a smarter man after that conversation. And, and I think you guys will feel the same way. Jennifer is a consultant. And I just want to read a little description from her website that kind of sums up her career perfectly and what she's doing right now. It says, Jennifer Bushman is one of the food and lifestyle industry's most respected consultants, communicators, marketers, and strategists. Strategists. She has crafted a valuable brand that resonates nationally, regionally, and locally. And that's what she does is she takes brands and makes them virtually a household name. And um, she's mainly focused on sustainable aquaculture. And I think once you guys tune into this episode and you listen through it, I think you're going to feel like you definitely got some valuable information and you're going to want to learn more and move forward and and reach out to her. And and, uh, I don't know what else to say. So whatever. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. We are sitting down with Jennifer Bushman. We got her on the phone today. And Jennifer is a, what do you primarily identify yourself as? A seafood industry consultant, marketer? I mean, I, I, strategic development, and I, and I really do only focus in sustainable aquaculture. So I'm with the right crowd today. Right. So you're like a, like a niche marketing consultant. And strategist. Someone once said, I was at a I was at a food event once, and they said, "Boy, that sure is niche." So yeah, <laughs> it really is. It is. It really is. Um, we know all about that because <laughs> yep. we, you know, we're we're right there with you. So Jennifer has been a super good partner with us as a member, and she's really helped us kind of reach a lot of people and and get our word yeah, out there. Um, you know, your ideals align very closely with. GAA's ideals. And I think we've worked really well together and I'm really happy that you were able to join us on the call. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for, thank you for having me. Hashtag official member. There you go. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, That's right. We, as the podcast, we haven't really been using that hashtag as much as we probably should have, but. Well, that was a good reminder. So we will make sure to do it for this episode. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So um, Jennifer, Jen, she said I could call her Jen. Can you, Definitely. can you give us a little background on yourself, kind of who you are, where you came from, and how you got to doing what you do now? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think there are so many of us that have kind of this funny little road that takes lots of different twists and turns and rabbit trails, you know, to get where we are today. And I love that um, about all of us because there, it means that we have lots of different tools in the toolkit to kind of pull from as we navigate um, this interesting landscape of aquaculture. And my story is no different. My father was a mining engineer. He was in the army. He was in Vietnam when I was born. And there were lots of moves as we sort of navigated um, his career. But one of the big anchors for me was that my mom was raised on a 10,000 acre ranch in Colorado, where they were raising cattle and a number of different crops that all kind of fed into this general store that they owned in Laird, Colorado, on the nearly on the Nebraska-Colorado border. So I feel like there's something about your, when you have that in your DNA, it really is interesting how it navigates your journey. And my, my grandfather, you know, he fished for trout on the, on the creeks. And so, you know, certainly the, the fishy business was part of it. We moved 12 times. I graduated um, from the University of Colorado in Boulder and actually worked in a cooking store while I was in college. And I loved it. My mom, my mom, you know, watched Julia Child as I was growing up. And, and so cooking and kind of this journey through the kitchen was always part of my life. Right. And when you, I graduated you actually from, you have a couple of cookbooks out as well, right? You're not just a consultant. Yeah. Right? That's right. I mean, I have, well, I have five cookbooks from what I consider my past life because I, I really had this kind of culinary background and the, and the things that I was doing, I had a cooking school at one point in the nineties and, and was teaching. I was really like um, working with a community of culinarians, cooking school teachers at a time when avocational home cooking, culinary education was really becoming the forefront. The first year the Food Network started, I had my cooking school in my home. So we were, you know, I mean, I think the thing that was amazing was we had this group of people, um, a lot of women actually in this group that were driving the way in which we were going to be educated and how we were going to cook at home. Now, food as entertainment kind of grew out of that, you know, but, but in the beginning, it was really like watching Julia drop the chicken on the floor and saying, oh my, you know, wipe it off, put it in the oven and, you know, have it for dinner. And and that was the spirit my mom cooked in, and that was what I brought to what would ultimately be my career. So I started with a cooking school in my home. I had my son, and I was like looking for something to do and literally took his playgroup list, and it turned into a culinary, a 6,000-square-foot culinary center that had a cooking school, a cafe, a store. And by then, I had a syndicated series on television, on, on morning news, as well as a radio show. That grew into, um, I was lucky enough, again, to just get several opportunities, and that was called Nothing To It series, became um, the Kitchen Coach Cookbooks, and we also developed a show for Food Network. Oh, wow. So the only thing that you have left to do is to start a podcast. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to let you guys do that, but, <laughs> but I think the really cool thing that came out of this was that opportunity abound. You know, there wasn't so much competition that you couldn't get a meeting with Bob Tushman at Food Network or get an agent to rep your books. You know, all the stuff that you would consider to be the front of the camera culinary career um, was what brought me to my first aquaculture opportunity. And it was literally a call out of the blue from my agent. And he said, we just got a contract to bring to market what we think will be the most 
sustainable ocean-raised salmon to ever come to market, and we think you're the person to do it. And when was and that? And I was out on a cookbook tour. That was, that was 10 years ago. And that was mm-hmm. with um, Verlasso salmon, and it was the year before the fish came out of the water. So we had a full year along with Scott Nichols, Allison Fish, um, the Addis Group. We had the support of Gaston Dupre from Aqua Chile and their board, and then the agency of the Addis Croissant Group to, to build what people know of as Verlasso today. Wow. So what are you doing right now? Not right now. Right now you're <laughs> talking to us. What are you, right. where is your career at at this moment? What are you doing? Well, that sort of front of the camera career, you know, began with Verlasso. So all of the hands you see in the videos and the recipes and all of the culinary side over the nine years in market with the brand. And I don't work with Verlasso any longer, but as of about June, I rolled off of that. But all of the things that you saw come into market were built around this kind of community of how do we build a brand? How do we move things, conversations like Scott and Allison and I with Seafood Watch before BAP was where it was and ASC, you know, nine years ago, we were sitting with them saying, look, how do you incentivize a fish farmer? Because if it's always red and on land is all that you're going to give a good buy or good buy alternative to, how are you incentivizing me to farm right? So all of the things that we built and learned and stubbed our toe on and got black eyes from and all of that really, in my opinion, drove where I can sit today, which is, you know, I'm working with Pacifico aquaculture and with Riverance Trout and with Sterling Caviar and all of the best in class aquaculture brands that are really creating the new generation of, you know, really who we're going to be when we grow up. Yeah. And that's actually a great way to transition, I guess, because what we primarily wanted to talk to you about was bridging that gap and communicating to the consumers. And, you know, we talk about all the time on this show that there's a giant divide between industry, seafood industry as a whole, not even just aquaculture and the consumers and, you know, everything that happens in the industry happens in a vacuum. And we can't seem to break out of that vacuum and and get the message over to the consumers. And it sounds like that is primarily what you focus on when you're working with these companies is is breaking out of that vacuum and getting this all this great information out to the masses. Is that accurate? I mean, it's it's nuanced, right? Because my goal at the end of the day, I mean, um, my husband is in the um, is in the technology space. And he says, Jennifer, everybody thinks that marketing is the L in the P&L. Right. And so it's having a conversation when we have um, investment, we have, it's such an important time for investment in aquaculture that they're looking at the entire ecosystem and knowing not just that that investment goes into the water, but it also goes into the provenance, the community, um, the conversations, the sales team, all of the spaces and the connective tissue that creates success in market. And we're still trying to figure that out. So I want to say, first and foremost, I don't think we've hit the sweet spot by any means, but we're learning and evolving and we're, we're the new kids on the block in our food system. So that kind of makes sense. So what I usually do is I sit down well before I decide that it's the marketing that an aquaculture company needs. And I say, look, I want to know where the sales team is. What are the goals? What's the price point of the fish? Because in my mind, it's not just consumers that we're trying to create this momentum with. Chefs are no different than consumers in the way they want to feel about their food and where their food comes from. 
So it just all, it really all depends. And if you get a company like a Burlasso where they're already selling fish in market and they're really looking at like new ways in which to intersect, then that's where the idea about, um, you know, Andrew Zimmerman came from. You know, it's, it's really looking at all of those pieces and saying, okay, now this is that next evolution of the brand. Where are you? Because the money isn't there. The re our reality is our margins are short. Um, our loss, you know, whether it's um, businesses that, you know, go out of business or, or it's just how much money gets sunk into the entire business itself. You know, marketing dollars are not big on the, you know, building brand on the aquaculture side. So it's trying to figure out how to justify those investments, how those investments intersect with, at that point, the most important thing which is sales, and then how do we really like be scrappy and make the most out of what funds are there? So where do you start? Like, What's an example of something that you would see when you come on to, to a company such as Verlasso or what are some of the other companies that you're working with? Um... With Pacifico Stripe Bass. I know you know Dan. You've had Dan yep, Farag yep. On, on the podcast. Um, yeah, like what, when, you example, come to the, when you come to a company like Pacifico and – you know, what, what it, normally do they say to you, you know, we brought you on so we can X, Y, Z, and then you say, okay, this is what I see. Like, wh how does, how does that really work? How does that go down? Well, I mean, the good news is that um, usually it's recommended by someone they, I'm recommended by someone they respect because the majority of the industry doesn't know that I've been digging into some of the brands that, or, or the work that, you know, we as a community built for Verlasso, so many of the brands that you see have kind of nibbled off of um, the groundwork that we did with that brand. Jacqueline Claudia actually um, was talking, who's Love the Wild. She was speaking to Omar Alfie and she said, you know, Jen's on my board and it would be really great for you to talk to her. And so Omar and I had a series of conversations. It was actually when we were in the middle of filming Journey of a Waterman. And we knew that the story that we were telling with Jamie Mitchell, this was a film that we did about a 10-time world champion surfer and his journey to, to really endorse and accept aquaculture. We knew that we needed to tell a deeper story. We'd originally thought that we could talk to the surf community and then go down to Patagonia. And what we realized was we needed a place that really connected with him as a surfer um, in a more impactful way. And the conversation started with, hey, you've got this very important big wave surf spot on the other side of your island. How have you managed to live in harmony with the surf community for the entire existence of the farm? And from that conversation, and really at that time, Dan and Omar were heads down on the farm producing the best fish, but quite frankly, not knowing where it was sold to and with no other sales team than the partnership they had with Primetime Seafood out of L.A., so they sort of naturally saw that I could not only help build the brand and help hire the sales team just because, you know, knowing the industry and being able to help advise, but also figure out where the heck the fish was coming from and where it was landing and to be able to better tell that story. And so that was where it began. But I mean, originally I was in all sorts of meetings around investment, who they were hiring, what really the strategic direction was. Before now, what you see where Pacifico now, we're really able to focus on supporting sales through some great marketing efforts, like we're about to be in a, in a great conversation, um, you know, at the Valle Food and Wine Festival and the chefs that are going there or Epcot Food and Wine and helping them start to work with Disney. Um, so it's, so it's nuanced, but it evolved for sure. In a, in a relatively short amount of time, when you said you kind of got into this roughly a decade ago, and just mm -hmm. the, the amount 
of advancement and and the stuff that you're working for as far as marketing is completely changed because the market has changed as things evolve and become more well known in the aquaculture space and it just it seems like what you're doing is a lot of fun a lot of creative thinking um, <laughs> it's but, it's interesting i do feel like there's a lot of gray hairs around aquaculture you know yeah. i mean we're we're out there fighting the fight all the time one of the big things for me was, look, we are part of the food system and we can have a conversation about why it is that people don't feel as connected with our water-based farmers as they do with our land-based farmers. I, I have certain feelings about how that happened and, you know, why do they feel so connected to an oyster farmer, but not a salmon farmer? There are, there are reasons around that, but, but I look at what the wine industry has done. I look at what the organic food movement has done and I see these intersects that we can create for aquaculture. And, and so for me, I want to bring aquaculture to that platform. So there's the one area where it's very clear as a company is coming into market, kind of what I need to do and where I need to get started. And then there is the, the championing. I mean, it took me eight months to get Andrew Zimmerman to understand that he wasn't an advocate for Verlasso. If this was going to work, he needed to be an advocate for aquaculture. And that's why he's an official member, right? right. So, so he gets it that he has a hat to wear as a global civic leader in his endorsement of aquaculture that goes well beyond what it is that Verlasso is doing on the water. And we took that journey all the way to South by Southwest and Jamie Wright, who of course is, is such an important part of GAA, um, being on stage at South by Southwest, you know, created a 56 million impression campaign around aquaculture that was generated around the climate and um, and social track at South by that we couldn't have touched if we were only just thinking about um, consumers or or touching that you know b2b with chefs in our distributor base so I really want to like continue to bring this in front of the FAO the UN and others where we're pushing that thought leadership and I do feel like the food community can then move the the consumers you know to where we need them to go so in your opinion, what do you think is, um, I don't want to say holding the aquaculture industry back, but what are some of the kind of blockades that we really need to bur like break through to kind of be accepted as part of that food system? I know aquaculture is, like you said, it is a part of the food systems, but how can the industry break down some of those barriers to be more accepted as mm -hmm. part of that? Any, do you have an opinion on that? I mean, I feel like part of the problem was that from a public perception basis, and there are lots of reasons, political reasons, whether it's how fishers have fought against aquaculture or whatever. I mean, there are all kinds of like politicized, nuanced ways and, and reasons why aquaculture has the perception that it does. Some of it was funding that funded NGOs that fought against aquaculture. And at the same time, you know, we've been our own worst enemy. I think the most important thing at this point is to show the world the advancements that we've made because I look at it no differently than what terrestrial based farming was in the 1970s and when you looked at the Monsantos of the world you know yes do we have still have a lot of bad agriculture we absolutely do but there was so much that happened because of that and how technology and awareness changed the shape of the landscape so there's there's partly that I always tell my clients, I love being a part of something that's a fait accompli because aquaculture is not going away. It's a necessary part of the food system, but we haven't done a good job telling our story. So it's really in, in the responsibility of a company coming into market 
to tell its story. And that story, honestly, is not about food safety and handling. Well, we have the best processing. We are, you know, we are HACCP approved. We're kosher certified. Like the consumers and the chefs don't really care about that. You know, the buyers might, but it ends up being a box they just check, to be honest. If you don't come in with, yeah, if you don't come in with the why behind it and the journey, people like with, and every project is different. So I can give some examples of ones that I've been involved in. At Pacifico, if you talk to Dan and Omar, it's all about the people. They know that they could not do what they do without the incredible hands that touch that fish and create a chain of well-being between the farm and the plate. So that chain of well-being and all of those hands that touch it to get the fish from the hatchery all the way through to the plate are part of that chain. So they talk a lot about the fishers that they employ because they have over um, half of their um, employees are fishers that fished out their fishery that now are working in aquaculture and get to work on the water with the fish they love, but just in a different way. So when we began to build the brand, we built it all around the hands that have, and the community that have built this company. When it came to Rainforest Tilapia, and I worked um, with Aqua Chile on building Rainforest, at Rainforest, the story was really all about the water. So for us, when you're in the Rainforest and you're working with the, um, the Cho- uh, excuse me, the Costa Rican government at the highest level of renewable energy and sustainable water, then your story is all around the water and people connect with the Rainforest around the water. Do you see the difference? River and Trout, um, working with them, they're building a story all around American aquaculture and what happens like Coors beer and the water and the, and the mountains and all of that. That's part of the provenance of what Riverance is doing. So, it's, so each one has a story to tell, but you can see the thread is, and that, that, that underlying message is about provenance that, and the story that gives people a better way to connect with the reason for supporting it. And that's probably what you do in the beginning, as, as I think you were mentioning, Sean, but when, how do you start one of these projects if someone reaches out to you and it's probably identifying, you know, what is... What's the story that we want to tell? Yeah, what's the story we want to tell? It'll be effective to get our, get our message out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is it? I mean, what is it? And I can tell you, I mean, I really believe in the teams and I, I definitely am learning Every day I'm involved in this space, I learn something new. I'm like, gosh, darn it. You know, why didn't I know that? I'm sure you feel that way too. (laughs) Things are changing and evolving so quickly. I'm like, how did I not know about that data collection tool that was on the water? For me, I always feel like I'm, you know, really having to work to kind of keep up. And that's where GAA comes into place. That's where all of the friends that I have you know, in like at Seafood Watch. I mean, I think Brian Album, he probably feels like there's a bat phone between my phone and Seafood Watch because uh-huh. I don't take anything for granted. I'm like, here's what's happening. Where are you guys in this space? What do I need to know? How do I navigate this? Because I don't want to make a mistake. So I'm really at the end of the day, a conduit for this incredible community that's helping me learn and bring the best that I can to this project. Because at the end of the day, we want projects that succeed. We want people to have value, feel value in the fish, to understand all of the human integrity that it goes into to raising this fish. And, they want, and I want them to see all of that. And, and so building the team behind it. So if you look at every project I've ever been involved in, there's only one person that has shot the photography and the videography, and that's Eric Wolfinger. 
And yes, does he do Whole Foods and he shot some of the best cookbooks you've ever seen. And he shot, he shot the full circle journey of a waterman film. But last year he said to me, my, my camera now smells like fish and I know who to blame. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if you, I mean, and you should talk to Eric as well. I mean, Eric, there is a way in which he sees the the farmer and our story through his lens that we need in order to be successful. And I'm, I'm sure there are others that can do it, but I can go to Eric and say, this is where this brand wants to be. They want to be, they're in this price point. They want to be in QSR. They're going after, you know, the Darden groups of the world. This, And he'll be like, okay, great. That's not the sterling caviar shoot that we just did last week that has all of, you know, both from the elegance to, you know, a more user-friendly campaign around caviar, right? So he is incredible. Um, and then I have, you know, I mean, social media, there are very few um, companies that do a really good job at understanding aquaculture um, through the digital media lens. So almost every project that I've worked on, um, I have a, an amazing person that works with me by the name of Jeanette Chextera. And Jeanette did the social originally with Rainforest, originally with Verlasso. Um, and, and if someone needs a bigger agency, um, Sisu. So I make the call to Jeanette or make the call to, um, you know, to the team at Sisu. And I say, look, here's where we're going. What are we, what are we doing? And I think a lot of the success, I hope there'll be a bigger network in terms of aquaculture for me to go to. But for right now, we have a decade of learning with a handful of people that are all contributing and helping me to, to build the brands that, that you know of today that are beginning to thrive. It's a beginning but that are really beginning to um, change the shape in, in which uh, we intersect our story on the water. How do you know when, you know, you, you were with Verlasso for 10 years and you said you just recently got off that project. How do you mm -hmm. know when it's time to be done and when you feel like you've been successful and or you've reached a certain amount of success with a company and, you know, they can take it from there kind of? Like, what, what, I mean, what do you look for for that? Well, I think it, it's all in the evolution of the project and what the goals are from the executive team. So for, you know, some of it is just wanting, in the case of Berlasso, you know, between, you know, what I used to say was kind of the last person standing and being able to give all of that history. And, and you know, there were a number of transitions that that brand made. What made sense to roll off of that was when Aqua Chile sold to AgroSuper, the new Aqua Chile was formed, and they really wanted to go in a different direction. And so that was the point to say, you know what, I really want to see Verlasso succeed. I want to see this move forward, but, but it's better for you to have an internal marketing person. They wanted to hire someone um, that would sit in that seat in Miami. And so it was very easy essentially for, for, for that decision to be made. And then they're going to be project-based things. I helped Julie Kuchapatev build the new journey around the Fair Trade USA seafood program. And that provenance and telling that story was very easy because the majority of that sat in the wild fishery side. And now they're just moving into Fair Trade certified aquaculture projects, which I'm sure you've, you've heard about. So it was a project-based thing where it was, you're not telling your story and if you don't tell your story about fair trade, then how do you incentivize partners to um, build a premium program and support the communities you want to? So that was pretty easy because Julie had a very specific project she wanted me to work on and in a very specific lane. And it was never intended to be the kind of long-term project like a 
Pacifico is. You know, it, it would be my honor to have the same longevity with a Pacifico as I did with Burlesque. Yeah, I would think that's kind of, you know, always the goal to really put as much as you can into something for as long as you can. So when mm-hmm. we're looking at all of these projects, these little one-off projects and the big ones like the Pacificos and the Verlasso and uh, Riverence and all these all of these things, what is the ultimate goal? I mean, I assume that it's, mm. like you said, it's in it like we were saying, it's in line with kind of GAA's ultimate goal of really just increasing awareness and increasing consumption of safe, healthy, sustainable seafood, but what when you go to sleep at night, what is the goal that you think long term? What is the, you know that moon cannon goal that you really <laughs> are trying to do with everything that you that you work on? I mean, I, I sort of get chilled saying it, but I want people to feel and see the same things in our water farmers that I saw in the eyes of my grandfather on the ranch. And when you look at that and the intention and the preservation of the land how he'd been on that land for three generations, what it meant to the family and the legacy that he created. I would like people to be able to understand that kind of work and intention that's happening on the water. Because I think that we revere our farmers. And I think that, you know, there, there was a whole thing. It's a great example. I use it all the time in my work about um, Parmigiano Reggiano. So there was a movement in the United States, primarily generated by some of the large cheese making conglomerates like Kraft Foods and others, to essentially get banned the allowance of unpasteurized milk cheeses that were aged over 90 days. And they were putting this effort in front of Congress and on and on and on. And really, it was Parmigiano Reggiano that saved the day because no one wanted to give up Parmesan cheese, right? Like we Uh want authentic, beautiful Parmesan cheese. I think ultimately... If the oyster farmers that are in the U.S. and globally can tell their story and bring along and have reverence for our finfish farmers and our, you know, land-based farmers, I mean, both marine-based as well as land-based. If we look at oysters and the way people feel about oysters, their provenance is always on the menu. You have a feeling immediately when you think of Hog Island Oyster Company of the farmer and his wellies and getting into the water and seeding those oyster beds and how it is very regenerative and, and how it gives back both to the water and to the population as a food source. What I would love is to see ultimately that journey, how we're creating um, that journey together. So if Parmigiano Reggiano kind of saved our artisanal cheese movement and the Calgary creameries of the world and the Vermont cheeses, the wonderful cheeses of the world were saved by that, then I would love to start to see how we work collectively together so that you go to Epcot Food Wine. And I tell these guys this all the time when I'm down there, let's have an entire bank of sustainable, sustainably raised fish and shellfish all together on the storyboards, being supported in all of your outlets, and really being able to to be able to bring that out to the community and align with a Disney led name like Disney to be able to grow the feeling of of aquaculture, both as it relates to the food community as well as how it relates to how the consumers feel about it. I think it's just misperception, but but the one thing I will say is we can't make mistakes. There have been too many mistakes. Mistakes, I guess, are part of the program, but we have to really be pushing those that are doing it poorly to move up to the level that the handful are are that are doing it right, because we can't afford the mistakes that have been made in the past or we keep or, or we're going to keep disappointing the public. I would agree with that. And I think it's it's also about uh, somehow trying to create a unified voice. I mean, I don't know how, how we can go about doing that, but, you know, there's so much infighting when it comes to aquaculture, seafood, and 
aquaculture versus wild and this species versus that mm-hmm. species and mm-hmm. um, how can we create a unified voice to to bring everyone up to that level and and say hey mm-hmm. we're 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 working up here like you need to come meet us up here or or get out um because we're doing Fair this enough. together you know well and we've talked mm-hmm. about in previous episodes that when you know chickens trying to if the, tr- the chicken industry only has to worry about one species and it's eat more chicken eat mm-hmm. more chicken and seafood now not only is it wild sometimes versus farmed but it's all the different species and trying to come together with a common voice for something that's much broader than just yeah. one species and mm-hmm. i think uh who, we had a uh, can't remember who we had on that was talking about vegetables as an example. That was Denise. Because, oh, Denise yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We had Denise on. She was comparing seafood to vegetables. And you know, vegetables are good for you, but there's a whole, there's a bunch of different vegetables to yeah. choose from with different tastes and colors. And, and nutrients mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, that's a mm-hmm. fantastic comparison. You, uh, you, you better to compare seafood and farm seafood to fruits and vegetables better than uh, any other proteins. But... Um, Absolutely. In regards to the infighting and the this versus that, uh, I wanted to get your opinion. Actually, we asked this to a lot of our guests. I wanted to get your opinion on the farmed versus wild conversation, because what we have found in talking to a lot of people at seafood shows and on the podcast and in person is that the folks who are in the industry, in the seafood industry, either aquaculture or wild caught, they all tend to say, yeah, we just need to work together. I, you know, and get everyone to eat more seafood. And then the people outside the industry are, oh, no, you can't eat what farm raised. Oh, no, I only eat mm-hmm. this. I only eat that. Um, and it seems mm-hmm. to be more of an issue with inside the industry versus outside the industry and not so much farm versus wild. What's your take on that? Have you do you have any um, experiences or stories that can help uh, kind of clarify what you've seen out there? I think here's here's the good news. I mean, where I'm seeing and some of the conversations I'm having are about how can how can some of the family foundations and the NGOs that want to get more involved with um, aquaculture and the support of aquaculture, where should the money go? And they you know, we we know with um, without calling out some of the issues um, that we have some pretty big powerhouse players in the United States that manage wild fisheries that have a lot of money that are against farmed fish. And when you populate the narrative in such a way and you have a beautiful, beautiful wild fish that you're marketing, that makes the narrative very, very difficult to change. And so if you've got 20 to $40 million to spend in the United States supporting only wild fish, you're going to be up against a lot as an aquaculture industry. I do have one client that's a restaurant group. um, I'm a friend of the CEO, so I've kind of done him a favor. And the good news is, is that I'm involved on a weekly basis with their sourcing of fish and seafood in about eight restaurants, but growing into 12 and and even more. Um, The group's called Pacific Catch. And the reason why I agreed to take the project with him was because it got me involved in the sourcing of wild fish so that I would have to learn about it because my head is all every day seeped in aquaculture, right? So you can have a little bit different lens. But now I know the the fishers from the rock fishery in Northern California, and I understand what's happening with, with sable fish in Oregon. And so I, 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 what I say is I'm five feet wide and three inches deep. I know just enough to get into trouble um, uh, a lot, a little bit about a lot of things, but I can call Brian. I can call the team at Seafood Watch. I have the resources now at MSC or Fish Choice to be able to learn. And what I will say for sure is that solutions are never black and white. 
solutions are always some type of meeting in the middle. And so when I'm sourcing for Pacific Catch and I get this question in Northern California about wild only, then I go back and I say, the world is all about balance. And if we are doing our job in anything, whether it's you eat too many carbs and you're not eating enough vegetables and you can't lose weight or what, or you're, you're not exercising enough or, or you're eating too much of something, you know, I mean, we are as humans, you know, if there's a bowl of popcorn in the middle of the table, you can't just eat two bites. I know very few people who can resist not eating the whole bowl. And so the reality at the end of the day is that this solution will be a meeting of the minds of all of these, this hard work, the hard work that's happening in wild capture, the hard work that's happening in aquaculture, the hard work that's happening in plant-based um, foods, the hard work that's happening in farming and advancements in terrestrial-based agriculture. So if I think about a solution, it's how I source for Pacific Catch, which in fish and seafood specifically is this. You want at least half that's raised fish. You want at least half that's caught fish. You want at least half that's fresh. And you want at least half that's frozen. And if we work within those parameters, then we have ultimately a balance, a balance of diet, a balance of sourcing, a balance of resource use. And, and the key so behind we, all of that is sustainability because if right. it's not I mean, sustainable, you it's, cannot maintain that balance. No doubt. I mean, we um, at Pacific Catch, they are a smart catch, a James Beard smart catch, as well as Seafood Watch business partner, restaurant partner. So they fit within what is the certification recommendation schemes that exist as of today. And we source according to those. But my point is, is that aquaculture is not going to be the entire answer. But what people have to look at is that it's always going to be a part of the solution. So as I used to say, as someone was yelling at me about a farm salmon, because let me tell you, we, with, without your voice in this, without GAA's voice, 10 years ago, we were having conversations that got people really upset about farmed salmon. And oh, we bet. were all alone, you know, all alone. And so I can tell you that, you know, where we've come now and that we have sustainable options and that we're saying, look, we are being good stewards of animal husbandry. We are in a role of continuous improvement. You know, when I think about how Scott Nichols found this little yeast called Larawaya lipoyitica and that they, it, they were able to grow this populate it with omega-3s. And when they did, they could reduce the feed model in salmon from their fish in fish out ratio from four to one, in some cases much higher, down to one to one. And what it drove in innovation in the feed sector, because no one had heard of fish in fish out ratio at that point. The NGOs were worried about it, but no one in market, no buyers, no one was talking about it 10 years ago. So when I think about what necessity you know, kind of that necessity is the mother of invention. What will happen moving forward as we're more educated? I think that the market's going to evolve on its own. And I don't know that we're going to see the fish and seafood industry invest in a big marketing campaign. I love what Linda Cornish is doing with Seafood Nutrition Partnerships, and I want to support that as much as I can, but that's not the place where I'm telling an aquaculture story. Growing fish and seafood consumption helps a client of mine, but that's not helping tell their story of provenance so that people learn about the farms. And I think that there's true power in navigating it through provenance in order to be able to create a seafood case where we've told that story, where the case workers understand it, the restaurants and the front of the house understand it, and they're sitting there not having to defend 
the decision of reared or raised versus wild, but it's just accepted. And there are all these great stories, whether it's about the fisher or, or the farmer and how we got the fish to their plate in such a dynamic way. I hope. That really is. I mean, yeah, that's the ultimate goal right there. Yep. That's, that's the perfect world for us in the, in the aquaculture industry is just having that, that balance and that it doesn't matter where, you know, where mm-hmm. it came from. It's, it's good for you. You should eat it. And that's kind of our goal on the podcast as well is to spread that word. And <laughs> we, you know, we still have these, those difficult conversations. I was at a conference a few weeks ago in Orlando and it was actually a podcast conference, not a seafood conference for once. It was kind of nice <laughs> to get, not, not have everything revolve around seafood. But obviously, when I'm talking to people and I'm networking and I'm talking about this podcast, is yeah, we talk about advocating for sustainable seafood. Oh, I love seafood, but not farmed. I'm not eating farm seafood, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, why? And then and then it gets into that conversation where they just get so angry and they don't know why they're angry, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a really hard conversation to have. It's a hard line to walk. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you approach those conversations today? Um, because you do have more resources, and I mean. Is what you just yeah. said to us, is that kind of how you approach it of, of, you know, we need to balance things out? Yeah, I mean, definitely that. And I think that um, when you can have a conversation where you explain it, 99% of people turn. So I, I think that you just need a minute to like have a reasonable conversation and show them some photos and show them what's going on. Because we're not talking about endorsing commodity aquaculture. And that's the gray. We want you to be angry about bad water farmers. We want you to be angry about bad land-based farmers. We want you to be angry about, you know, bad conservation programs or the Endangered Species Act getting, you know, uh, you know, broken down. I mean, we want you to be mad about these things. I am involved now with an organization called the Marine Mammal Center. Um, it is one of the most important marine mammal research centers in the world. So everything you hear about, whether it's a demoic acid outbreak and now we can't harvest the crab in Northern California, you know, at Christmas time or an algae outbreak, a lot of times the The mechanism, the early trigger of how we can understand what's happening in the water is through the health of our marine mammal population. And the Marine Mammal Center, as they're protecting and as they're rescuing and rehabilitating sea otters and and first, you know, uh, harbor seals and fur seals and all of that, they've never told the story about the fact that the majority of whales that are now dying in the ocean and dying in our bays. We've lost 101 whales in Northern California this, this season. The majority of the, the marine mammals that are coming into the center are dying from starvation. They're not hitting, getting hit through ship strikes. They're not dying because of eating plastics. They're dying from starvation. And starvation is being caused by us fishing out their fisheries, period. So when I talk to someone, and this is the part where I go, I want you to look in the eyes of this beautiful fur seal and tell me he doesn't have a right to be able to find food out in the ocean and that you as a human are the only ones that have a right to it. Yes, I love Because that's really what it comes down to. Is do you, are you seriously saying that you are the only one who has a right to ocean wild resources? And this could be an Eskimo population that's in Alaska that needs that wild fishery. Or that could be a population base in Ecuador that can only afford to go fishing that mahi-mahi. You tell me. And if we have the ability to make sure as humans, as the top of the food chain, as the most, in theory, smart ones on the planet, that it's not our responsibility to protect all of those below us, then how can you tell me that aquaculture can't be part of that solution? Because we don't really need wild fish. Not really. Now, will we 
find balance and we'll have species we can't raise and hopefully we'll protect those and we'll get to eat them on occasion? I hope so. But at the end of the day, if I can leave that wild fish off of the coast of Ecuador for a country that deserves their species and protect it, even when they're not maybe going to protect it themselves and not put it in a taco at Pacific Catch, I'm going to do it. And so what you're going to see is a next year is a whole what we call seal approved, S-E-A-L, seal approved meals. And, and I'm hoping that this program with the Marine Mammal Center will grow where I'm trying to make sure that what they're feeding those mammals when they're in hospital care with them and what they're endorsing around their kind of this huge base that supports them is buying more farmed fish because then you're leaving more for the whales that are now coming in, you know, in dire straits because they don't have enough food to be able to get them back up from Mexico back up um, to, you know, up through uh, to Alaska during their migration. That would be my Right. Is, you, you know, people protect for their for their pets. They do all kinds of things. Maybe it's those beautiful, big brown eyes of the harbor seal that can help people understand it. Yeah. Use the fuzzies. <laughs> you got to use. They say you have the little stuffies, they call it. And when you see these mammals return to the water, by all means, look on my um, on my Instagram. We just released four beautiful fur seals back out um, off of Baker Beach and you see them being released and the 1700 volunteers and the thousands of hours it takes to to put them back out in the water you're not going to think the same about the way in which you're for example taking things like anchovies out of the bay um, and not leaving enough for them to be able to have dinner I love that angle that's that's a great way to to look at things and, and kind of make people think in a different direction towards that. That's great. I like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, I'm out there trying all of the different things. I mean, I really hope that, you know, part of it is dialogue. I'm so into curiosity conversations and talking to your team about what you're doing and being able to, again, I'm, I'm just sort of in the room trying to listen. And I hope that through that listening and all of this time that I'm contributing, you know, in some positive way to, to what I think ultimately is, uh, as I said before, it's a fait accompli. We're going to be eating farmed fish. So let's make the difference now to do it right and um, and have people feel good about it. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, we're glad we were able to get you uh, on a microphone to talk instead of just listening, like you said. <laughs> but um, definitely, I think I think anyone that is uh, you know is deep here in the industry and is active on social media has definitely heard your name. And uh, you know, mm. Jennifer has such a wide reach based on everything that she's done in the last ten years or so, and we're. We're grateful that you were able to join us. Um, is there anything else that you'd really like to get out there before we wrap things up? I mean, I think the one, the one thing is whatever space you're working in as it relates to this or relates to sourcing, put the farm name on the menu. Put the farm name in the fish case. You know, when, when I have conversations with groups like Whole Foods and they will put the farm name in their meat case, they'll put the farm name in their produce case, but when they look across the desk at me and say, we don't put the farm name in our seafood case because it's advertising, get over it. Oh, you're worried about supply, get over it. You don't know if you're going to have the peaches from Dry Creek Orchard the next day. Put Pacifico's name in the case. Allow the consumer to make choices around brand as we do with everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm out there begging every day to just show the provenance of 
the farm so that if the name is there, people know what to look for because we know that they're not recognizing ASC. They're not recognizing BAP. Seafood Watch is pulling themselves more and more out of the use of their brand, you know, as it relates to direct to consumer um, at retail or, you know, I mean, you can't use the mark um, any longer, um, you know, whether it's for packaging or anything else, because that's not what they do in their process. So we're struggling to be able to tell our story. So help us. I think it's if you have the power, then help us tell the story. Because when you do, we know that we like the easy answer, right? We like to be able to say, oh, I prefer this brand of green beans. I prefer this brand of, of you know, tissue or toilet paper or whatever it may be. I'm going to buy the Charmin. So let us put water farmers in the space where they belong and where they really have a chance to be able to, whether there's risk or not, really build their following and um, and be able to tell their story. And yeah, that really brings it down to a, just a human level. And it's we're not trying to do this to get an advantage. We're trying to even the field and give and, and make things just more equal. And everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And it's- yeah, it's it's very easy and very difficult. It's yeah. easy to understand <laughs> and, and but it takes a lot of work and, so. and just continuing the hard work and, and trying to continue to push forward. A lot is changing and a lot is changing for the good. And it's just a matter of making sure we don't go backwards and continue to just mm-hmm. move forward. And I also think it's what we can control. I don't think we're close to having a big seafood campaign where we all get along. But I do know that if I'm in there training a restaurant group or I'm in there training a retail group, that I can, uh, that is the best opportunity I have to get them to say yes to do it. So you, so you have to ask. We're not used to asking, but let's ask. Let's find marketing dollars to support reprinting of menus. Form your POS as if you're going to be telling that story. Get your gill tags on there. Get your ice picks in there. Like do everything you can to give them the tools to tell your story. It's worth the investment up front because you're not just changing the landscape for yourself and your brand and the value. I mean, people will pay 32% more when they know where their food comes from and millennials even more so. Yes. So it's, yeah. it's important. But set up the tools when you're setting up your company in order to do that. Because if you don't have it and then I'm coming in and we're trying to re- retroactively figure it out after you've undersold your fish and it's already in the in Safeway and you're not and your brand isn't on the on the tag already, we can't we don't have a lot of success working backwards. So ask for it from the start. And I think that then if there's that expectation, then uh, then there will be no question. Fish and seafood shouldn't just be marked from country of origin and species. There is more to tell about that in its journey. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. That's you know, this is why we had you on here, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I love it. You can tell. I'm, I just am, I feel so strongly about this and, and those of us that are working in it, and I feel very hopeful um, for the future around what's happening. I think in three to five years, we should circle back and have this chat again, and it'll be really interesting to take inventory. I will be surprised if it takes that long. <laughs> yeah. But like I said in the beginning, you have been um, an amazing contact for us uh, in just helping us do some networking and, and get some guests lined up and get some get our word out there through your channels and everything. So we really appreciate everything that you've done to help us. And I hope that we can help okay. you equally in some way. <laughs> and I'm sure the seafood industry, especially the aquaculture sec- sector, really appreciates you know all the efforts that you're putting in and trying to unify some voices and and really get some clear messaging out there and 
we all thank you for that. Well, well, thank you. I think it's an exciting, it's an exciting time. And thank you for both for being involved in this. You know, I mean, it's a journey that we all need to make together and having these new voices and new platforms like the podcast. It's so essential in in creating success for us in market. So thank you for that. Well, we love what we do. And I think we're doing a pretty good job. Uh, I mean, we got, we got Jen on the show, so we can probably just (laughs) cancel the show now. We're good. Um, (laughs) No. And how about Logan Gulliff? I mean, geez, you know, we got the kids in it now too. So that's what I loved about that campaign. The campaign was from 16 year olds to 72. So everybody's in it. Yeah. She's talking about our official member campaign where we highlighted some of our, um, some of our key members. Uh, Right before we go, Last thing, favorite seafood dish. Go. Mm, okay, so right now um, it's the Pacifico striped bass. It's grilled. It's sort of the whole fish opened up, filleted. A little tabla presentation with baja chimichurri and herbs. It, you can't can't beat it. Wow, that was fast. She was ready for <laughs> yeah, that yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did not prepare for that. <laughs> All right. I um, didn't know. I swear. <laughs> I'm just craving it. <laughs> if people want to contact you or follow you on social media or hire you, what is the best way for people to get in contact? I mean, we're, you know, Jeanette's helping me with my social. So we're kind of out there all the time. So just look up Jennifer Bushman. You can also go to jenniferbushman.com. And I have a feeling if you reach out to someone in, on GAA, they may know how to find me if you're having trouble. Yeah, we can. We can make that. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon. And uh, I hope so. Yeah. We appreciate you taking the time. And if not, we will all meet in Boston because that seems to be Boston, hopefully it, yeah. with no snow, with the same weather as there was <laughs> this year. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, are you, are you going to be at the gold Fingers conference crossed. this year? You know, I, I don't know. I don't think so. It's one of those where just with all of the things going on and the, and the transition with clients, I, I hadn't planned on it, although um, I'm getting lots of inquiries about whether or not I should be there. I loved being there and speaking to the group last year. Loved it. I mean, it was such a highlight to be part of, the, um, to part of that format. I love that speaking format, but I doubt it. I, it's not in the budget for this year, so. Right. Well, it's a little so bit bummed. later this year as well, and we know that you'll probably be prepping for Halloween. So. Yeah, it's really messing know, up right? our, our Halloween prep. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, it's going to hinder exactly our Halloween it. prep a little bit. So we're yeah. going to have to get the decorations I mean, no, up on the yard early. <laughs> no, it's no, it's with a heavy heart, but that's one when you're when you're on your own, it's the curse of the consultant. You kind of have to pick and choose these things each yeah. year and it's been a, a pretty big year of transition. So, so maybe next year we'll see. Great. Well, we'll see you there next year then. We'll we'll all Excellent. plan on that. <laughs> so, cannot wait. So, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon right. and uh, feel free to reach out with reach out to us with anything that you need. Yeah, and you the same. It's great to talk to you guys, and and good luck and congratulations on everything. It's just been incredible. Folks, that was our conversation with Jennifer Bushman. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I know I did. I know Justin did because he told me that he did. We really enjoyed it, and I know we're going to have her back on the show in the future, so make sure you keep on the lookout for that and all of her contact information and social media in the show notes. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or find us on Twitter at aquademiapod. You can also call us and leave us a voicemail at 1-603-384-356. Six zero. Do not be nervous. This is not a live broadcast. You're just going to be leaving a message, which we may play to all of our millions of listeners. We may, we may, we may. But it's actually two million plus, right? Probably. Yeah, somewhere along <laughs> those lines. 
Uh, feel free if you like our content or don't like our content. We want to hear from you. We want to make our show as best it can possibly be. So always leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.